0: So up to this point in Matthew's Gospel, we note in the previous chapter that the crowds sat around the mountain stunned. They sat around the mountain overwhelmed and astonished because Jesus had just finished or just concluded the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount he instructed the disciples and by extension everybody who was listening on that day in the way of obedience to the will of God. He exhorted everyone present to respond to the words that he spoke, to ask, to seek, and to knock, or in other words to petition the Father in heaven for his help to obey. Jesus urged All the people who were listening to him on that day to repent, to truly repent, and to bear the good fruit of obedience to his commands. And Jesus implored them, and by extension implores us as well, to examine themselves, for you and I to examine ourselves to see if we possess a genuine faith, a genuine belief in the Lord rather than a counterfeit. Rather than a counterfeit profession, he, he asks and urges and implores us <clears throat> to see if we have a profession of faith or if we possess true faith that will result in entrance into the joy of our master. And he appealed to the people who were listening on that day, and he appeals to you and I now to hear his words and to put them into practice which he likened to a wise man who built his house on the solid foundation. And that resulted in a house that was sturdy enough to withstand the oncoming judgment of God on that day. And so now, after bringing the sermon to a close, the people sat there, struck beside themselves by what they had just heard. Because Jesus spoke to them, as the text says, as one with authority. You see, the people were used to hearing the dry, self-serving pontifications of the scribes and the Pharisees, and whereas the leaders, the religious leaders in this day spoke in self-righteous ways... Right. Look at me. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I have. I'm not like that guy. Whereas the religious leaders tended to speak like that, elevating themselves at the expense of others, seeking from others greater reputation and greater admiration. Here, in, this, in contrast, Jesus spoke to the needs of the people's souls. Jesus, when he taught, sought to lift other people up. Because that's, in essence, what calling people to true salvation is. It's a call to being lifted up from the dust and adopted into the family of God. And whereas the scribes and the religious leaders consistently and continually appealed to sources outside themselves as authoritative, whether it was to historical documents or man-made rule books like the Mishnah, the Mishnah would have been the record of the opinions and discussions and arguments of various rabbis over what the, the rules in the Old Testament meant or what the commands in the Old Testament meant. And they just continually added new um, regulations to the Old Testament requirements And they would consistently um, refer to those guys on a host of issues. And they always buttressed their teaching with other authorities. But Jesus, on the other hand, appealed to no one but himself. Jesus spoke as if he is the authority, as if he is the one who wrote the book. And so far... Matthew, in his gospel, has displayed to you and to I, the readers of the gospel, that Jesus was, and Jesus is, authoritative in word. And now, Jesus comes down from the mountain. And as he comes down from the mountain, Matthew hopes to astonish the readers, as he records in rapid succession over the next two chapters, no less than ten miracles of our Lord, revealing him not only to be authoritative in word and, and teaching, but also to be authoritative in deeds and in power. You see, the Lord in the prophets of old foretold what would occur during the days of Messiah. Messiah. What the signs of the arrival of Messiah would be. For example, in Isaiah 26:19, the Lord declared through the prophet Isaiah, "Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy." And in chapter 29, verse 18, the Lord says through, said through Isaiah, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. And in Isaiah 35, the Lord said, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. These are going to be the... <clears throat> the uh, signs of the arrival of messiah so you see the arrival would be marked by his healing his healing of the blind his healing of the lame his healing of the deaf his raising of the dead his preaching of the good news to the poor and this is exactly what jesus referred back to when john the baptist later on in matthew 11 sent some disciples to ask jesus are you the one who is to come are you indeed the Messiah? Jesus responded to him in Matthew 11:5 by saying this, Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. The age of Messiah is here, John. In other words, yes, Jesus is the savior and his identity is proven by the fulfillment of old testament prophecies in his life in his ministry in his words and in his deeds. And so in chapter 8 and 9 of Matthew's gospel this fulfillment of the lord's prophetic words concerning Christ and his deeds is made crystal clear as Jesus in fact does go out and heal the blind and the deaf and the lame and he even raises the dead. This man, Jesus, is truly Lord and Savior and is authoritative both in word and deed. This man truly is God come to us in the flesh. He is truly the Savior who takes away the sin of the world, according to John in John's Gospel. And so on this day, in verse chapter 8, verse 1, as Jesus came down from the mountain... Great crowds followed him. Now, just uh, <clears throat> for explanation's sake, when the text tells us that great crowds followed Jesus, it doesn't mean that they're wonderful crowds <clears throat> or that they are <clears throat> submissive crowds. It means that they were, it consisted of a multitude of people. Lots of people were following Jesus. And when the text tells us that they followed Jesus, it doesn't mean that they repented and submitted themselves to him as disciples. It simply means that the crowds moved along with Jesus to whatever location he was going to. And as these crowds were following Jesus from place to place, Matthew chapter 8, verse 2 says, or records for us, Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying... Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, that verse has quite a lot of background to it because there are certain biblical concepts that would have been readily apparent to those folks in those days that are foreign to us in the modern Western 21st century New Covenant era. See, Matthew 4 records something that we can all understand. Jesus healing every disease. Jesus healing every affliction among the people. We can all understand and appreciate that, right? We can praise the Lord that he healed people of their pains and their physical sufferings and their various diseases and even their paralysis. However, on this day, a leper approached Jesus and do you notice that the leper doesn't say, Lord, if you will, you can heal me. You notice what he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And while the idea of clean does indeed, and absolutely carries with it the idea of physical healing, this man is asking for so much more from Jesus. In fact, he is asking for something that had never been done in Israel's recorded history. We'll get to that a little bit later. So this clean and unclean distinction is made clear to us in the book of Leviticus. See, there are concepts in the book of Leviticus that are foreign to us, like clean and unclean. However, before we get to the clean and unclean distinction, um, another distinction is made in chapters 1 to 10 of the book of Leviticus. The distinction between the holy and the common. See, the holy and the common represent two distinct spheres that do not overlap. You can imagine them as circles, right? On this circle, you've got a big C in the middle of it, common, and on this circle, you've got a big H in it, holy. They are two separate and distinct circles and they do not contrast or overlap. They do not and they cannot come into contact with each other without the common or the defiled being absolutely and utterly destroyed by the holiness of God. The holy were those things or people set apart by the Lord specifically for his worship, for his honor, for his exaltation, while the common represents everything else. The ordinary, regular, everyday things of the world. While there might be nothing wrong with these things when used out in the world whether you use them for working or planting or sowing or reaping, the common things in the world were never to be used in the consecrated worship, holy worship of the Lord. So here's an example. In the Old Testament Levitical system, to bring a utensil from home, let's just say a pair of tongs, a pair of tongs that you use to cook your dinner, If you brought those tongs to the temple and attempted to use them to maybe move the coals on the altar, that was a humongous no-no. Only the tongs that had been permitted for use in such a way that were specifically designated for the Lord's service and consecrated by the Lord for that service could be used. In order for something to be holy, God had to declare or outline His will what he required for worship, and then that thing that he outlined had to be consecrated, meaning to be set apart and dedicated to his service and to his service alone. The holy things of the Lord were not to be brought out and used for any other purpose. So those tongs that were used to move the coals around, you couldn't bring those tongs home and stir your stew with them. Those two things could just not overlap. And if someone did accidentally do something like that, one of the sacrifices, one of the five sacrifices in Leviticus 1 to 10 is meant to deal with this over somebody overlapping the holy and the common. In Leviticus 5, verse 14, we read that if someone accidentally committed a breach of faith and sinned unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, holy things being those things that are set apart by God for his service whether it be a temple utensil, whether it be food that had been meant for the priests, the Lord instituted a sacrifice to clear up that guilt. The guilt offering, as recorded in Leviticus 5, 14 and forward. Now you'll notice that there is this care taken in this distinction throughout the Old Testament. There is the utmost care in the holy things. Here's an example. Something even as benign to us as the clothing that they would wear. When the priests performed their duties at the tabernacle or in the temple, they had to put on holy clothing, clothing that had been set apart and consecrated for the duties uh, of the priest in the tabernacle. Listen to, Aaron, listen to uh, Exodus 28, verses 40 to 43. It says this, For, Aaron, for Aaron's sons, meaning the priest's, You shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. You shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. So you see, when the priests were going to the tabernacle to perform their duties, their holy duties, they were required to wear certain consecrated holy clothing specifically set apart for the role. They couldn't just wear anything they wanted. When they came to serve the Lord, everything from their cap, their sash, their coat, to their undergarments, were specifically set out by and set apart for the Lord in his service. And when they were finished their duties, they couldn't just take those clothes and wear them out. They had to remove them because those clothes would transmit holiness to the people. And that's not a good thing for people who are common and defiled. Ezekiel forty four nineteen says this, And when they, that's the Levitical priests, go out into the outer court to the people, they shall put off the garments in which they have been ministering and lay them in the holy chambers. And they shall put on other garments, lest they transmit holiness to the people with their garments. So you see, even something as simple as the priest's clothing was consecrated, they were holy, and they must not be defiled. These clo- this, this, the clothing here f- fell into the circle with the H, the holy sphere, and they must not come into contact with the sphere of the common. The idea being that there is a real distinction between what is holy and what is common. The worship of God is an exceedingly holy act. And in every way, the Lord made this abundantly clear to the people of Israel that they ought never to enter into the worship of God in a flippant way or in a light way. So that's the first distinction you see in the book of Leviticus. It doesn't have anything to do with where we're going today, but I thought you might enjoy the lesson. But alongside of that, just To help us see, while the holy and the common were two distinct spheres that didn't overlap, alongside of that distinction, you have another distinction that is also largely foreign to us, that of clean and unclean. You see those words peppered throughout the Old Testament, right? Clean and unclean. Whereas the holy and common distinction is a hard distinction, two spheres that don't overlap... Uh, The clean and unclean represents more of a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have clean, which meant the person in question was fit for and permitted to join in with the community of Israel as they worshipped the Lord at the temple and at the tabernacle. They were able, because they were clean, to live in and dwell in the camp of Israel with the people. Whereas the unclean, or the clean, were permitted to approach the temple. They were permitted to join in with the songs. They were permitted to offer sacrifices. The clean could joyfully participate in the festivals and in the ceremonies and in the feasts and in the remembrances. The clean were able to engage in the worship of the Lord with their family, with their friends, with their people. Cleanness meant that one was fit for temple worship. That's what cleanness meant. Cleanness meant that one was fit for temple worship and the communal life in Israel. While holy meant that a person belongs to and is set apart by and for the Lord, cleanness means that one is fit for temple worship and life in the community of Israel. So the clean side of the spectrum represents things like order, like in the New Testament, right? Our God is a God of order. It represents fullness because those who are uh, as God who is perfect in life, God who is perfect in order, God who is perfect in fullness could only be approached by those who enjoyed fullness and order and wholeness and life in themselves. God could only be approached by those in this system who were unstained by those things which belonged to the realm of the unclean. So on the other side of the spectrum, you've got unclean. Unclean was the realm of death and chaos and disorder. And the further one moved from the order, from order and life, the more unclean one became, the longer that person was barred from or excluded from joining in the worship of the Lord. When unclean, one could not approach the temple or tabernacle. When unclean, one could not take part in any ceremonial worship. One could not offer any sacrifices or join in any festivals or celebrations until they were made clean again. So when you read through the book of Leviticus, you'll note, right, there are varying degrees of uncleanness and different wait times required for different uncleannesses to clear up before the unclean person in question rejoined the community of the clean. So, for example, some issues would require the person who is unclean to take a bath and wait till the evening. And then they were good again. They could re-enter and reintegrate into community and, and worship life. While others required a week, two weeks, a month, two months, and in the case of leprosy, as we will see, something far worse. And Leviticus 11 to 15 record the major issues that made one unclean. And they centered around things like diet, death, discharges, deformities, and diseases. Yes, five D's, five D's. Diet, death, discharges, deformities, and diseases. All of which are corruptions of order, life, and fullness. And when it comes to leprosy, the disease that was suffered by the man who approached Jesus on this day, Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 help us to understand the leper's plight a little more clearly. When it comes to the ESV, what the ESV terms leprosy, we must know that in this day, uh, in the day that this man approached Jesus, as it is even anywhere in our own day where this is an issue, leprosy is is a debilitating and crippling disease. A disease that wears down the sufferer's extremities, the nose, the fingers, and the toes. They eventually gnarl up and fade away, and you start to lose the sensation in those extremities, and so it was not uncommon for someone with leprosy to lose their extremities and not even know it until later because they didn't feel it gone. One commentator... Describe the condition as one that people could, one, see. Because the fingers, the nose, the toes, the eyelashes, and the eyebrows all fell out. You could see it. It was also a condition that you could smell. Because it produced an unpleasant odor from the sufferer as their body degrades. A smell of, of flesh that had been decaying on their very own bodies and one that people could hear as it attacked the larynx and affected the voice of the sufferer, turning their voice raspy and hoarse. So you could see it, you could smell it, and you could hear it. And according to Leviticus, the person who thought that they might have contracted leprosy usually would start as just a little skin mark, if somebody thought that they might have leprosy, it was their duty to report on and bring attention to the issue. And then he or she would be brought to the priest by their family and friends. who would deter- And the priest would then determine the severity of the issue. Now know this. Israelites generally lived in terror over the development of a strange mark on their skin. There was not many things that were worse for an Israelite during this time than to develop strange marks on their skin. See, for us in our day, we can just head out to the dermatologist, we can set up an appointment at the doctor, and they'll tell us what's wrong, and if there's medication for it, we take it. If not, we figure something out. But in this day, this was an absolute terror. And when the person with the mark on their skin went to the priest for examination, for, to, to have the priest look at the strange marks, that person was in for, at minimum, a two-week exclusion from the people of Israel. Two weeks, minimum. And during that time, they couldn't be in the community, they couldn't go about their daily business, they couldn't see their spouse, they couldn't see their children, they couldn't see their friends. And during that two weeks alone... Or, along with others who were suffering the same experience, they had to wait, agonizing over what would the priest would pronounce when they returned to the priest's presence. And the worst possible thing that could happen for this person was the pronouncement of leprosy. <clears throat> it meant, in that day, an incurable physical condition. But it's not just the leprosy that was the big deal. It was the pronouncement of the priest, you are unclean. Because with that pronouncement came a lifelong exclusion from all aspects of Israel's religious, social, and communal life. It meant saying goodbye to your family, never to enter into their presence again. It meant never embracing your spouse again. It meant never hugging or kissing your children again. It meant never engaging in the festivals and celebrations at the temple again. It meant banishment from everything, being relegated to life outside the camp of Israel with other sufferers. You see, whereas most other types, if not all other types of uncleanness were temporary, For example, if you came into a contact with a dead body or a creature, or if you experienced some discharge after the time requirements passed and the appropriate offerings were made, that person could re-enter the community. But that's not the case with leprosy. As long as the leprosy remained, the person remained unclean. With no place in the community, expelled from all contact, No other condition carried with it such devastating consequences, such communal stigmas. And so the leper was a horror to others in Israel who themselves feared contracting that condition and enduring the same results. Isolation from the community, being cut off from religious life and contact. Could you imagine any greater torment? Not only that, but Leviticus 13 also outlines the responsibilities. It's not that you were just put outside the camp and left to live there alone, but Leviticus 13, verses 45, or 45 and 46 outline the responsibilities of one who had been pronounced unclean as a result of leprosy. Look at it in Leviticus thirteen forty five and 46. said, so the leprous person... Who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, in this text, there are a number of duties and consequences that had been set out for a leper in Israel. Firstly, there's about six six clear, one implied. The first is, the person pronounced unclean must wear torn clothes. An obvious visible sign that this person is afflicted with leprosy and therefore unclean. So people would see you coming. They knew based on just by looking at you that you were unclean and they shouldn't go near you. The second is like it. The person pronounced unclean must let the hair of their head hang loose. This is something that the priests in Israel were specifically told not to do because they, the holy and clean, must be distinguished and or set apart from the unclean. Look at Leviticus 10.6 where we read this. Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose. Do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. So you see the, the distinction here between the clean and the unclean and the holy and the common. The person pronounced unclean must also cover their upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean, whenever somebody approached them or whether they approached somebody else. Covering the mouth was a sign of one's recognition that they are unclean and unworthy before the Lord. We note this in Job, for example, when he answered the Lord saying, in Job chapter 40, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And the covering of the mouth was also a sign in this day of mourning for the dead. And there is a sense in which the covering of the mouth by the leper was a mourning over their own living death. And it was a sign to others to mourn for them as well. But... Over time, instead of mourning for the leper, the religious leaders began to despise them. The person, the fifth, the fourth thing is the person pronounced unclean will remain unclean for the duration of their disease. Now, there was no cure for leprosy in this day. So how long do they remain unclean? Their entire life. Fifth, the person pronounced unclean must live alone. The person pronounced unclean must live alone. Now, in our day, for many of us, at least before the onset of the global pandemic, the idea of getting away from it all was pretty nice, right? Maybe buying a house out in the country, getting a lot of land, maybe uh, eating lots of peaches, maybe living off the grid. That was kind of uh, something that people found appealing. I find it appealing, the idea of that idea. But for the ancient Jew, that is not an appealing idea. Life alone was an absolute calamity. Living outside the camp means being cut off from your loved ones. It meant dwelling in the location furthest from the presence of God in the temple or the tabernacle. It meant being excluded from your people. It meant being cut off from the blessings of the covenant. It truly was a living death life as a member of the community of God's people effectively ended and the person lost all the benefits of being a part of Israel not only must they live alone the person pronounced unclean must also live outside the camp you see all of these in 13 Leviticus 13 45 and 46 they must live outside the camp the presence of God resided where in the camp and they were told they must live out of the camp. To be banished to the outside of the camp meant separation from the presence of God and His people. And we read this in Numbers chapter 5, verses 1-3. to 3. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. Now, when it was in the case of someone with a discharge or someone who was unclean with contact from the dead, they would be readmitted after their time had been served and they were cleansed again. But for the leper, they remained outside the camp. And you might ask yourself, why, why would God command such people to be removed from the camp? Some, if not most, might say something along the lines of, so that others don't contract the disease. While that may be a secondary consideration, I'm not convinced that it is, it's not the given reason according to Numbers chapter 5, verse 1-3. to Look at verse 3 again. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. There's the reason. The issue is that their condition, their presence, defiles the camp. Their presence creates conditions that threaten God's residing and dwelling in the camp. Talk about a stigma, right? Perhaps you can see why, over time, the opinion of the leper by the religious leaders grew more and more antagonistic, less and less compassionate. Even though the leper contracted this, this disease and condition through no fault of his own or her own, even though it could have struck anyone, the, the compassion level in Israel towards the lepers grew less and less compassionate, and it became a duty for them to expel the leper with little to no, con, little to no concern about the leper themselves. And Jewish leaders eventually started teaching things and saying things like this. No Jew is permitted to go within six feet of a leper, a hundred feet, 150 feet if the wind is blowing. And one ancient rabbi proudly declared this, when I see a leper, I throw stones at them to ensure that they don't come anywhere near me. What a life the leper must have led, hmm? And while not specifically mentioned, the result of all of these things, the living alone and the cries of unclean and uh, living outside the camp, meant exclusion from ceremonial temple worship. What a life. Imagine this leper that comes to Jesus. What if he's been living this life for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years? And when you read Leviticus in chapter 14, we see the laws and duties for any who had been cleansed of leprosy outlined. This is the duty that Jesus refers to in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 8 when he instructs instructs the cleansed leper to show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. However, something to note here. There had never up till this point in Israel's history ever been a recorded case of somebody actually having to follow the procedures outlined in Leviticus 14. There are no recorded cases of a leper who had been pronounced unclean by the priests then rejoining the community because their leprosy cleared up and they offered these sacrifices. The pronouncement of unclean due to leprosy up to this point had, for all in Israel, been a lifelong living death sentence. And for this reason, the rabbis used to say, the rabbis of the day used to say, and consider the healing of a leper as difficult as the raising of the dead. The cleansing of a leper would signal the dawn of a new era. The cleansing of a leper And having that leper go to the priest and provide proof of his cleansing would signal a new day. The Messiah is here. And in many ways, the gruesome, inescapable, ugly, corrupting contamination that is leprosy illustrates in very graphic detail the situation that we all find ourselves in because of our sin. And like the leper who approaches Christ or who approached Christ on this day, we too, apart from Christ's outstretched hand, outside the camp, stinking and dying while we live, barred from the presence of the Lord until we turn to Christ for cleansing. And know this, when anyone truly turns to Christ for cleansing... He stretches out His hand and He makes us clean. He removes from us our uncleanness. He raises us from the dead, as it were. As leprosy in this day, again, was considered a living death, so too were we, before coming to Christ, according to Ephesians 2, dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You see, when we turn to Christ in faith, in essence, we are like the leper bowing before him and asking him, You can make me clean, you can make me fit to be in your presence. You can make me fit for the honor of being raised up with you and seated with you in the heavenly places. And when you genuinely and truly do come to Christ in faith, Christ always, every single time, says, I will be clean. But back to the leper. On this day, this man, an outcast for the entire time of his affliction, unclean, banished from the temple, unable to see his family enduring a lonely life as he simply withered away out of anyone's sight, without anyone to help, without any to show compassion to him, decided to approach Jesus. Which violated a number of Old Testament ceremonial laws. Notice, he didn't come to Jesus yelling, unclean, unclean! But he also came to Jesus... He also came to Jesus. He approached Jesus, which was also a violation of the Levitical Code, which is clear. The leper was to remain outside the camp. And if he or she thought that they might be healed, the priest was supposed to go outside the camp to examine their case. But this leper approached Christ. Based on what we've noted about the disposition of the priests, towards lepers it had probably been a lifetime since a priest ventured out that way and so this leper boldly approaches christ and knelt before him the leper prostrated himself before jesus in reverence saying lord if you will you can make me clean you can restore me bodily spiritually socially You, by your very word, can renew and restore me to wholeness of life. Sure, I can be healed, but Jesus, even more. If you cleanse me, I can hug and kiss my wife again. If you cleanse me, I can tickle and wrestle with my children again. If you cleanse me, I can worship the Lord with my people again. I can go to the temple. I can make offerings. I can join with the community as we celebrate the Passover, as we celebrate all of the wonderful festivals to the Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, how I miss it. And note the way that the leper spoke to Jesus. If, if you will, you can make me clean. This man had probably endured Enough negative responses in his life that he had zero presumption. This leper did not approach Jesus as though Jesus owed him anything. But from what the leper had witnessed, from what he had seen and heard about Jesus, he knew that Jesus could heal him, which is amazing given what we know about the fact that no leper had been healed. He knew that Jesus could heal him. This is a big deal. He showed a tremendous level of faith in the power of Christ. Because again, like I said, there are no recorded cases of anyone in Israel after being pronounced unclean by a priest due to a skin disease being made clean again and readmitted into the life of Israel. And this leper saw in Jesus for the first time in his life someone who could, if they desired, by his very word actually help him and so he approached jesus breaking protocols saying jesus you have the power to do whatever you choose to do perhaps maybe you will choose to make me clean perhaps you can restore me to the community of god's people i know you can but will you you kind of see this these days from people sometimes right as you try to preach and proclaim to them the good news, listen, Jesus could forgive you. Turn to him in faith and turn to him in trust and they'll say something along the lines of, no, Jesus couldn't forgive someone like me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how many things I've done. Jesus wouldn't want to heal someone like me and this narrative totally betrays that idea. Anyone, anywhere, no matter what, you've done no matter who you are if you turn to christ truly in faith he will stretch out his hand and he will heal you he will cleanse you he will forgive you and that's what jesus did here verse three jesus stretched out his hand and touched him touched the leper saying i will be clean now you got to imagine this is a surreal scene for the leper's entire time as an unclean man, no one had ever motioned toward him or moved toward him in any way. People avoided him like the plague. People would walk on, other side, on the other side of the streets. Mothers would probably cover the eyes of their children to shield them from even the sight of a, uh, this repulsive leper with his torn clothes and his tattered hair and his constant yelling. And yet, Jesus stretched out his hand in the man's direction for the first time in who knows how long he saw something come he saw someone's physical body come toward him and not only that jesus touched him a touch that would according to the levitical law make the person who did the touching unclean themselves but jesus broke with all of the violations the conventions and the norms of the ceremonial law because a new day is dawned. And he touched the man. And what was the result? It says in verse 3, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Until the arrival of Christ, until Jesus, God come to us in the flesh, made his dwelling among us, not just in the temple, but among us, uncleanness spread to, spread through, spread among the people, interrupting their approach to God in worship. But now, a new day has dawned. God has come, and when He stretches out His hand and He touches us, uncleanness retreats, and the leper is made fit for the presence of God. That leper... While he was a real person who approached Jesus at a fixed point in history and really, truly did experience the gift of Christ's compassion, he in many ways illustrates all of us. We are that leper. You are that leper. Rendered unclean, unfit for the presence and worship of God, relegated to life outside the camp, outside the family of God, spiritually dead, even though you physically live. And sometimes I think we would do well to remember this truth. You see, in the life of Israel, when God freed the people of Israel from enslavement in Egypt, He continually reminded them by instituting festivals and celebrations and by consistently uh, saying it in Scripture, remember that you were once a slave in Egypt. In all of your dealings with other people, in the way that you speak to and the way that you engage with other people, always remember that you were a slave in Egypt yourself. Remember the burdens of that um, existence. Remember what it was like so that you do not get too high and too mighty and too self-righteous in your own eyes because once you do, you have forgotten because we can so easily slip into that mentality. Forgetting that we are the leper, that we were the leper, that we were the enslaved, how easy is it for us to slip into the mentality of the religious leader? If that person comes near me, I'm going to throw stones at them so they don't come anywhere near me. We were once that leper, and Christ, glorious, beautiful, compassionate Christ, stretched out his hands, and cleansed us. While we were still spiritually ugly and deformed, Christ cleansed us. Not because we were worth anything. Again, Christ wasn't getting anything special when he healed you and he healed me. And yet we can oh so quickly forget, like the priests did, that others need our compassion. And instead we can pick up rocks and pelt them at each other in order to keep those that we find annoying for whatever reason. Whatever reason you disagree with them about. Maybe they don't see things the way you see them and you'd like them to just stay away. In all of your relationships where you start to think highly of yourself always remember I was the leper and Christ cleansed me so who am I to think that this leper is beneath me. And if you are listening this morning and you haven't turned to Christ in faith and you don't trust Christ for salvation, that leper in the narrative is you. Right now, it's you. And as Christ did in in the story, he stands ready to heal, ready to forgive, ready to cleanse, ready to adopt you into his family bow before Him and call out to Him for forgiveness. Turn from your sin and turn to Him, and you too will be given the great gift of compassion, the great gift of our compassionate Lord Jesus Christ, eternal life with Him as your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus, unlike the priests of those days who avoided leaving the camp of Israel to go and examine lepers, who would walk on the other side of the street to avoid coming into contact with the lepers. Jesus, Hebrews 13 tells us, suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus, our great high priest, suffered outside the gate in order to win and to save those who were outside of the gate. That's us! Christ took on himself not just our uncleanness, Not just our defilements, but all our filth. And instead of contracting our sickness, he bore the due penalty for it all. On our behalf, in our place, and he stretches out his hand to make all of his children clean. Now, just to step back, to be fair. To be fair, before the arrival of Jesus before Jesus took on flesh and made his dwelling among us, the clean in Israel were, in in a very real sense, unable to help or unable to come into contact with the unclean. Because we, as humans, without the Spirit living in us and without the power of Christ saving us, are too weak in ourselves to bear their burdens or iniquities. The Israelites along with the rest of us, were unable, without some kind of outside permanent and indestructible cleansing agent, to come into contact with the unclean, without themselves, without ourselves, contracting that uncleanness, and therefore making themselves or ourselves unfit for the worship and the presence of God. It was a a, a situation that was quite difficult to navigate. Now, they went wrong in that they lost all compassion And they lost all ability to mourn over the situations of the people even though they weren't quite able to help them. It's when Christ makes His dwelling among us that He purchases for us that very indestructible and permanent cleanness that we so desperately require. If we are to worship the Lord with His people, if we are to go out into all the world and preach the good news, we need this indestructible cleanness given to us. And we see the effectiveness of Christ's work in this regard revealed to us in Hebrews chapter 10, when the writer says, Brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh... And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our hearts and our bodies, the totality of us, has been washed and cleansed by our Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't contract uncleanness anymore. But due to the fact that we have been cleansed by Christ, we now become salt and light. We now become preserving agents. We now send forth cleanness as we go out into the world and proclaim the gospel. All praise be to Jesus Christ for his wonderful gift. We have been fully and totally and completely cleansed. And so now we enter into the presence of God with full assurance. There are no hiccups. There are no times outside the camp. There are no times of uncleanness. No, we have full access because of what Christ has done. And because of this, we are able now to do what Israel could actually not do, which is go out into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. Israel needed people to come to them so they could maintain all those cleanness laws. But now... Because Christ has cleansed us, we go out into the world. We are now, in Christ, given the ability to engage the leper, to touch the sick, to go to those outside the camp because Christ has made us perfectly and indestructibly clean. The Holy Spirit living in us, regenerating us, turning us into the very temple of God means that we carry this cleanness around with us wherever we go. Don't be like the relig- religious leaders who continued even after Christ had ascended to avoid and condemn all they thought were unclean. No. These are, the ones, these are the very ones that Christ has come to save. Instead, you who love Christ, you who are saved and cleansed lepers, call others to the saving knowledge of the Savior who so compassionately stretched out his hand to you, making you fit for his presence, and giving you eternal life with him. Now, as after this leper was cleansed, note what Jesus said to him. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, why would Jesus say, why would Jesus command this newly cleansed leper to refrain from speaking about such a great miracle? There's a number of ideas that have been put forward. I think all of them have merit. I think you can put them all together. First, Jesus told the leper to hurry to the temple to reveal to the priests what had occurred. And this does two things. It reveals that Christ has respect for the Mosaic law because that was one of the things that he was constantly uh, accused of, not respecting God's law. See, Jesus loved God's law. What he didn't love, what he despised, was the Jewish leaders' twisted and incorrect interpretations of that law. And this leper presenting himself to the priest as a proof to them ought to have signaled to those priests that something new was happening, that a new day was dawning. Such things were only to happen at the arrival of Messiah and perhaps the religious leaders would in turn investigate further and see that Jesus is the king and point the people to their king. We know that didn't happen. Second, Jesus told the leper to say nothing because the healing ministry of Jesus, while important, was not the main point of his ministry. For people to flock to Jesus for physical healing and physical healing alone was to miss the point of his ministry, was to miss the content of his preaching, which was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as we see during the ministry of Jesus, a number of people followed him because he fed them with physical bread, because he healed them of their afflictions, but they never truly repented. And there came times when Jesus would say something really difficult and all of them would leave. And three, Jesus told the leper not to say anything because Israel at this moment was a powder keg of messianic expectation. However, their idea of Messiah was, when he comes, he'll lead us against Rome. He'll lead us against Rome at the head of an army. But there were no thoughts of repentance, no thoughts of returning to the Lord, which are the precursors to the king's establishment of his throne. If Israel is to be restored, they must repent. But the crowds at this time were far too eager to install a king, far too eager to rally and riot behind this king. But that eagerness was not born out of a repentant heart, but simply national restoration. If they truly desired national restoration, the first step is repent and return to the Lord. And then the Lord will return to them. But because the order was wrong, Jesus didn't want this leper to stir up the crowds. So after hearing all of this, perhaps you identify with this leper. Perhaps you you sense a lack of compassion from those around you, a lack of acceptance, maybe a lack of friendship. These are all very real issues, and every one of us is going to have to battle against that sense at different times in our life that we are alienated or that we are in some way outcasts or weirdos, I know I get that one a lot, I feel that one a lot, big weirdo right here, despised, snubbed, looked down upon by many in the world, and even regretfully by a number of people who would claim to love Christ. And if that's you, know this, you, like this leper, Christ is always ready to stretch out his hand in compassion to you. He never withholds that hand. And if you trust Him, while this life might be tough as others continually fail to live up to the ideals of Christ in terms of their uh, relationship with you and how they treat people, look to Christ, rest in Christ, find peace in Christ and know that He is carrying you through. Perhaps you have forgotten that you were a leper yourself. And you walk around life high and mighty, looking down on others, judging your fellow brothers and sisters, either behind their backs, by your online presence, or to their face. Perhaps you think others are dumb, or they're unfaithful, or they're lesser Christians than you because they don't see things the way you do. And so you dismiss them like the religious leaders did the lepers of this day. For you, it's time to remember that you too are a leper, You were, if you are saved, once the leper that needed the compassionate hand of Christ. And you must always remember that and show that in your dealings with others. Be compassionate like your Savior is compassionate. Perhaps you are a leper who enjoys staying in the zone of leper, soaking in the pity of others, soaking in the victimhood complex and mentality. I want you to note something in this text, that the leper approached Christ for cleansing. The leper didn't want to stay a leper, didn't want to rest in that area. The leper wanted to be free and cleansed and healed. The leper wanted to move from victim to victor. He wanted out of the affliction, and he did whatever he could to get to Christ in order to get out of it. So I call upon you not to stay in the zone of a leper soaking in pity, if that's you. But most of all, in closing, I want you to know this. Jesus is all of ours great and compassionate King. He is, out of His abundant kindness, out of His abundant compassion, Jesus came to earth in order to save all who believe in Him out of their afflictions, out of their sins, out of their uncleanness. In and through Jesus Christ, you and I are made whole. You and I are given the good and perfect gifts of salvation and eternal life with Him. In Christ, I am made new. In Christ, you are made new. So, go to Him. And if you do, know this. He will stretch out His compassionate hand to you. Father, we thank You and praise You for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you came to us. You cleansed us who believe. You've removed our filth far from us. You've adopted us into your family. You've promised and we know and have faith that you will lead us and guide us into eternal life with you. It's a great honor and a great privilege that you have given to us. We praise you and magnify you and exalt you for all of it. I thank you that we live on this side of the cross, that we live as those who look back to what Jesus accomplished. And we can rest on that foundation. So may you be honored and may you be glorified as we live a life of obedience to you, recognizing that you are the God who cleansed us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.